Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome in, Arizona Cardinals fans and anyone else listening. This is the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Uh, my name is Blake. I'm the co-host of the Revenge of the Birds podcast here. Joined, as always, by my co-host, the venerable John Venerable. John, it's the middle of the off-season. It's the kind of darkest time as far as for football news and football fans. But uh, we've got a lot to talk about today. We've got a new member of the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, we've got training camp coming up. It's kind of a very exciting time to be a Cardinals fan. But before we get into that, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Blake. How are you? Doing good. Uh, we're happy to be kind of uh, bringing to you a little bit of a different recording setup. We're uh, giving some other Skype a try at least. And then John ended up picking up a different microphone at least for all that. So we're uh, glad to be able to be there in, uh, I guess, HD clarity for you yes. guys this time. We're trying some new equipment. Please let us know if it's a positive or a negative because we honestly have no idea. But we're, we're never trying to stop bettering ourselves for you, the fan base. <laughs> for sure. All right. So, John, when we came in today, originally the kind of outline I was looking at was, hey, we're going to talk about Steve Keim. It's been a year since the DUI. We're going to talk about some of the upcoming training camp. We'll have a couple of questions. Maybe we'll even get into, um, you know, some of the all time articles or your your DJ Humphreys articles. But all of that kind of went out the window this morning when the Arizona Cardinals used a supplemental draft pick for the first time. And I think it's all over 20 years or so. Um, taking Jalen Thompson, who declared for the draft after he was ineligible to return to Washington State for his senior season. And so, John, we essentially have a new draft pick for the Arizona Cardinals uh, just a couple of months after all of the draft all of blue. You've got another rookie coming in uh, to fill a need at safety. Yeah, it was pretty surprising. I think we knew ahead of time that they had some interest in Jalen. It had been leaked out by multiple national media outlets this morning that the Cardinals did, in fact, like Jalen Thompson. Uh, To what degree, we did not know. I believe they had the roughly the fourth pick in the um, supplemental draft behind Detroit and a couple other teams. And um, lo and behold, they made their first supplemental draft pick, if you can believe it, since 1990, where they Ooh. used a then ninth round pick on LSU tackle Willie Williams um, back when the draft, I believe, was roughly 10 rounds, 10 plus rounds. Uh, of course, the draft is traditionally seven rounds now, and the Cardinals spent one of their fifth round picks next year on Jalen Thompson, um, the rangy safety out of Washington State. I believe this was in Blake. Correct me if I'm wrong the same fifth round pick that the Cardinals got in the Josh Rosen deal, um, which adds a little bit more intrigue. Is that correct? I'd heard that speculated today 
um, because it, it had been mentioned that they had multiple fifth round picks. I hadn't even processed the 2020 draft compensation yet, but you know, of mm-hmm. course, you use a, a supplemental pick this year. It's it's removed from next year's uh, draft class. Had you heard that, Blake? No, I, I I had not heard that. I am not sure if it's their pick or if they get to choose which pick is given up. My assumption is that since we know some other teams like the Packers and others had interest, it's very possible that, you know, the Cardinals, they maybe used up their earlier pick at least, or perhaps when it shakes out, we'll see that they were the only team that submitted a pick. They had the first one and they're able to perhaps give up that exact pick for the Josh Rosen trade, in which case you would then have Jalen Thompson and, um, uh, Andy Isabella from that trade. So I've not heard that that is the case. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be bad at all as far as, you know, you're getting two good players back for him. Because I think uh, after reviewing things with Jalen Thompson, uh, the team thinks highly enough of him. Um, I wouldn't be surprised, of course, if it is the case that I hey, start at the beginning of the round. First pick is on the clock, second pick on the clock. And perhaps that's the path that you go through, at least where it is kind of what you would consider that first pick in the fifth round for this year. But for next year with the Arizona Cardinals, obviously it's going to be at least one of those fifth rounders will go. Uh, if it is their own pick, then you can say there's not really that much that they gave up because they, they have another one in the Miami deal. And absolutely as we all have speculated Johnny that very possibly could end up being the first pick in the fifth round, depending on if the dolphins end up uh, doing what a lot of people think they'll do. And, you know, are looking for that franchise quarterback or tanking for Tua as some have speculated, but uh, let's talk a bit at least about not with the compensation, but some of, and even with the aggressiveness of Steve Kine, but let's talk a little bit about the player himself. Um, Thompson, for those that kind of haven't followed up, got into this situation essentially because he used an over the counter substance. Uh, apparently it was a banned substance. The, they were very clear to make it known that was not steroids. It was more likely some type of supplement where he was recovering from an injury, something that wasn't allowed, and he lost his eligibility for his senior year. I know at least just from on the radio today with um, John Gambadoro breaking down some of why the Cardinals um, made the pick, at least was that they loved his coverage skills. They spent time interviewing and talking with him and ultimately felt that it was kind of a, he got in a bad rap. The, the whole way it shook out was they felt kind of unfair to him, but can't really do anything about the NCAA rules. He declared, gets selected, and there's a lot of people who are pretty high on him. Uh, I don't know. Adam Schefter mentioned that he's kind of considered to be a day two pick next year, somewhere in the second and third round. And uh, PFF Mike of Pro Football Focus gave him a round two grade, which is interesting to be able to see if you're looking at that being kind of the ceiling for him. Hey, if you can get a guy who at the end of the year would go in round two, you can get that guy here for round five and only give up a fifth round pick and have him on your team. Now he's 20 years old. He's still a young player. Uh, I think that's a fantastic swing of the bat by Steve Kime. And it does seem to me like he's probably not only got a shot to make the roster. I have a feeling that for the fit and the type of player he is, he's going to make the Cardinals roster. Oh, absolutely. I don't think you make this move, Blake, without projecting him to be a part of your roster, at least in 2019. And we talk about the Patrick Peterson suspension and the Cardinals secondary is going to be in flux really for the first six weeks of the season. But you try to carve out a niche in uh, this new defensive scheme that's brought over by Vance Joseph. And you've got a lot of new faces in that secondary and a really majority of those positions outside of maybe Buda Baker and Robert Alford, those are those are up for grabs. Uh, DJ Swearinger, of course, comes back. Um, the Cardinals took another Thompson, Deontay Thompson, 
in the fifth round this year as well as somebody who they're incredibly high on that had medical issues, but he himself had, I believe, a, a day two grade. But you know, I, mm-hmm. I referenced um, Chris Trapasso, I believe I'm pronouncing his name correctly, CBSSports.com. He had a really good article uh, recently about how, he, I believe it was last week, he thought Thompson was worthy of a round two pick mm-hmm. uh, based on film alone, not considering the off the field issues and at his pro day thompson measured in i'm just reading a little bit uh from the article roughly five foot ten so 186 pounds but he did run a four four forty with a 35 or 33.5 inch vertical and his three cone drill he did net in under seven seconds uh which would have been the sixth fastest at the combine for any safety for the 2019 group. So you've got Buda Baker, um, you've got two uh, individuals in uh, Trey Boston and Antoine Bethea who are no longer around. So a lot of flexibility now entering this season for the Cardinals in their secondary, a group of individuals that, of course, have plenty to prove. But we talk about it, Blake. Nobody in that secondary is making all that much money out, specifically at the safety position. Buda Baker, you would figure, is due up for a contract extension. But Swearinger, they claimed him. He's not making much of anything. Uh, mid-level uh, contract. And then you've got a bunch of these young guys that the team is excited about. And when we talk about the impact that Steve Keim is making this offseason, kind of the out-of-the-box thinking. Uh, of course, the Cardinals had been allergic to the supplemental draft in, in most recent years, really in most recent decades now they're looking at just creative ways to be able to roll the dice and improve what uh, unfortunately pro football focus says is the worst roster in football and (laughs) you know veteran wise i think they're probably right on the the track that you and i would agree with but i I don't think anybody could argue just from a rookie standpoint the rookie class and i would include jalen thompson of course in that group along with the the slew of draft picks that they had in april i don't think anybody else has a comparable rookie draft class in terms of exciting upper tier boomer bust type players in the arizona cardinals of course starting with kyler murray but all the way through you know hakeem butler and uh, of course jalen thompson today it's 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 going to be one of the more intriguing draft classes i think of the last 10 years for this franchise and we talk about when you are when you have an opportunity to take flyers on guys like this because you have a slew of draft picks you have a lot of cap space that allows you to maneuver around it really at the end of the day the cardinals just need to hit on three or four players just to be contributors starters and then have one or two of those guys become pro bowl level players of course kyler murray is the most important but this is how you you slowly start to reshape and rebuild your identity in this league and the more pit you always hear it the more picks you have the, the more opportunities you have to hit on those individuals. So it doesn't always work out, but of course it it's better to have these supplemental or late round picks come in and you roll. I mean, this is the kind of player you'd roll the dice on in day three. Anyway, somebody who's got a day two or a day three grade that the Cardinals feel like, okay, like if he doesn't work out, it's fine. We're not paying him anything. A fifth round pick is, is basically a throwaway pick. But if we parlay this into, if he turns into, let's say just so he doesn't have to be the next Eddie Jackson, but if he <laughs> turns into a quality starter for this franchise, that's a huge win for this team and something that they're desperately seeking because Blake, how many day three picks has Kime hit on defense or offense during his tenure? Not many. No, not many at all. And that's, what's really fun about this uh, specific one is uh, the Cardinals in essence, uh, I think he even mentioned it as far as with plan a, they, uh, 
I think I used the what was the term that kids use yeeted, but they've punted essentially on this entire 2018 plan that they put in place and have brought in guys who much more are closer to fitting them. If you look at Jalen Thompson, where his strengths are, um, the biggest thing I went into with some analysis of watching a few games, seeing how was he used, where did he play. Um, the thing that was most interesting was when you watched him play, he was not as much of the Buda Baker guy who was playing a ton on the line. He wasn't as much of a Deontay Thompson, whereas a combination center field staying way back or kind of hunting forward to make a big hit. He was kind of almost in this man coverage role, whether it was in the slot or in the back, where a lot of times he was in some of the games you'd watch away from the ball where he flashed was when teams actually did target him. This is kind of something I know that was mentioned by pro football focus. They talked about where he forced 12 incompletions last season, which was the second highest in all of college football. And he could potentially, the best way you can kind of look at it is where if Buddha Baker and Deontay Thompson are more of uh, Buddha, especially the guy who's kind of that safety who can play slot corner. You kind of look at Jalen Thompson almost as a corner who can play slot safety. He's very good in coverage. Um, the game I would recommend, at least for listeners, if you do want to get a good glimpse of him, if you look at the bowl game with Washington State against Iowa State, um, this is kind of also noticeable for being the Hakeem Butler game where he went off for nine catches for 192 yards. Uh, basically, first play of the game, the quarterback ends up kind of underthrowing the pass a little bit. Thompson breaks on the ball, takes the ball back, and it was just a huge blow. It was a very similar play to something that we've even seen, you know, a Tyron Matthew play as now. I don't think Thompson's as explosive as Buda Baker. Um, you take a look at him across the board, the statistics are very similar as far as with him. He's got 121 tackles, 190 total, 11 and a half tackles for loss, six interceptions. That's in three years starting. So you're talking about a guy who started from the time he was 18 has started three years in a row. Now he's 20. Those players are the ones who often will transition very well to the NFL because not only do they have a lot of experience, but they're young enough to still be able to learn. Uh, Buda Baker, kind of for comparison, 199 tackles. You know, 13 for loss, uh, five interceptions, at least Uh, the uh, interesting comparison. When you look at Deontay Thompson, statistically, he didn't get as much onto the field in his last year, about 112 total tackles, four and a half for loss. Uh, He had three interceptions. But if you can look at the Cardinals, if this is going to be kind of their future and we'll have to see just what happens with DJ Swearinger. But what I love is that even though Buda Baker, his contract comes up in two years, he could potentially get paid as early as this offseason. DJ Swear just got a one year left on his deal. This is kind of adding depth to the team, at least for the first year, while also planning for the future. And this is something that we've seen him do in the past that they've tried with guys like Hassan Reddick. We've seen them try it with Robert Kandichi, seen them try it with DJ Humphreys. All of these guys are acquired with premium picks in the first round relied on. This is something that's a fifth round pick where you're getting a great value. And so that's why I am a huge fan of this. Um, the fit that he's going to have, I think for the Cardinals is he, he, maybe he gets on the field in some levels, but I could see it where if you could put him in coverage and trust him to be a coverage guy and, you know, maybe it's something where he'll have to gain some weight is what some have said. He's only 186 pounds and he plays safety. Uh, maybe he's a guy you keep back in playing coverage and that allows Buda Baker and DJ Swearinger 
just hunt around the line. I think that that type of a fit, at least for the Cardinals, is really good. And uh, let's be honest, some other teams like the Texans or even the Packers, he, he may have been a starter for them this year, John. That's yeah. what I think is really valuable about this pick is when you're looking at that, the Cardinals DB's room right now, of Peterson, Alford, Brock, another cornerback that you already had in Byron Murphy is probably going to yep. start. And I just love the fact that you're taking Vince Joseph and his strengths and adding another strength to that. Just cheap cost control talent that has high upside. There's literally no downside for this team. And, and listen, Blake, they're also utilizing the, the position that they're in. You just mentioned two teams, both of which figure to be in the playoff mix in the Texans and the, and the Green Bay Packers, picking later than them in the fifth round. Um, I think the Cardinals knew that they had to have some kind of a sense of urgency. Uh, most people thought that he would go somewhere between the fourth and the seventh round today, probably more so where he went, the fifth or sixth. Um, and so they knew based on where they were drafting, we got to get aggressive because some of these other front offices are going to probably be, <laughs> you know, chomping at the bit to get a hold of this guy. And so, I, you know, I applaud Steve Kime. It's what he's been doing the entire offseason, claiming, you know, I think key contributors that are going to make a difference this this coming season with. We just mentioned DJ Swearinger and Farrell Cooper. Um, you know, we talk about um, the the tackle that they got from Cleveland, um, just making an impact in, in different ways and churning this roster out. Because, you know, we, we talk about the poor state that it's in now. It was an even worse, if you can, you know, imagine and you saw it up close. Uh, it was even in a worse state last December when the season ended. I mean, it was practice yeah. levels level bad. So this is what you have to do. You have to put as many you know bets as you can out in the middle of the table and see how many you can hit on. And again, if he's a solid contributor, I mean, Pro Football Talk was speculating today that if he has a strong preseason, of course, he can be a contributor week one. I think that has mm -hmm. more to do with the state of the Cardinals team and their secondary, like you just mentioned, the inexperience. But at the same time, you know, I had a fan ask me recently, why hasn't the team reached out and re-signed Trey Boston? I think it's because hmm. they'd rather go the cheaper route with some of these young players and see if they can get somebody to pop for them, uh, which I commend them on. Because at the end of the day, Blake, we've touched on this so many times. The fact that this team is so inept offensively, specifically on the offensive line, I would I would save my money and my resources to upheaval that each and every offseason. And so getting creative defensively, finding, you know, key players in your secondary, you know, what is it on July 10th? I mean, that, that mm -hmm. could be something that we look back on and, and saying this was a transcendent day for this franchise. That's probably a little bit dramatic, but at the same mm -hmm. time, just having them do consistently out of the box things that they haven't done historically, taking a quarterback back to back in the first round, yep. trading that said quarterback away, committing to a five, nine, five, ten quarterback <laughs> first yep. overall, you know, firing a coach after one season. I mean, I yep. at least give Kyle Murphy. Yes, absolutely. They finally drafted a cornerback high to be yeah. able to be a partner for Patrick Peterson, something they it, hadn't done since they drafted Patrick Peterson. Absolutely. And so you think about just the upheaval of this roster. Listen, it needed to be be done but they're at least we're they're doing it in ways that you know and you, you never do things for fan or media attention or celebration but at least they didn't go out the first day of free agency and just spend dumb money or they're you know they're you know to give them credit like i didn't love the situation with rosen but they clearly didn't feel like 
he was the guy and they didn't stick to him just because of the compensation they had given up previously. They took what they felt was the better player. And as long as they're making smart decisions, what on the surface, I think this move has been applauded by, by most everybody Mm -hmm. from the analytics side of things. And from media perspective, I think most people thought, Oh, this is a savvy move by a team. It even says it in this, in this CBS article um, by, by, um, by Chris that said, Basically, the Cardinals have done the best job of any team of going through one of the fastest roster overalls that he can remember under Kingsbury. And Thompson brings more versatile talent to what quickly becoming an underrated secondary or safety group. Now, I'm not sure I'm ready to call them underrated without seeing, you know, (laughs) half of that group play a a snap in the NFL. But I will say I've always liked DJ Swearinger's game. I think we both think Buda Baker can take the next step and become a Pro Bowl player this year. And then you add the two Thompsons into the mix and somebody like maybe a Rudy Ford. Um, it's it's an exciting group to be able to say, okay, we know they're going to have their struggles early on, but maybe in a year from now we're talking about it as one of the strongest positions on the team. No, I, I would agree. And I, it's interesting when you're also bringing up the uh, just the, with last year, the Cardinals got into trouble. Because when starters were signed that were paid big money, like that was a ridiculous Sam Bradford contract, a ridiculous Andre Smith contract. Um, Justin Pugh was understandable. There was just some health concerns, and clearly that was something that panned out. The Cardinals are optimistic that he can put that behind him. But what they really struggled with a lot was they just didn't really seem to address with quality depth at a lot of the different areas. Like you talk about Ben Ed Ben Wickery coming in kind of as the second corner, the team trading for Jamar Taylor. Taylor was cut like within the first three weeks of the season. Uh, ben Wickery was cut, you know, about halfway through the season. Um, they just were not able to really identify and bring in guys who were, you know, quality players afterwards. And so even if that's all that Thompson turns into is, you know, a depth player who um, is able to be on special teams. He's got a, you know, a knack for the ball. He's forced a couple of fumbles, uh, including on uh, one on a kickoff return. If you're going to move Buda Baker away from special teams just because of how valuable he is, you move into the, another player on. That's kind of the Steve Kime move that we saw during that 2013 to 2015 season where there was, hey, there's next men up. Hey, they've actually been able to bring in this. Essentially, John, this was the the first of the kind type signs that we're used to. It just was in the supplemental draft. And that's something that I think Cardinals fans are for one thing, at least, and this is what we'll talk about next with Steve Kime is it's not that he's, you know, viewed, I guess, any higher for many in the fan base. Maybe he still has a much lower reputation, but for the most part, the image rehab from where we were sitting at this time, probably about, a year ago, John, where Steve Kime was spending, you know, two days in jail. There was questions about whether he was going to end up being fired at the end of the season. Where he is now making aggressive moves in the offseason and free agency. And even like you said, when you look at the episode eight of Cardinals flight plan, uh, they've got Kime, Cliff, all of the scouts are in one room and they're talking. And essentially what they all said is these are all the same people except for Cliff and Vance who were there watching Josh Rosen and Sam Bradford last year. And they're all saying, hey, I know it's early, but yeah, Kyler's the guy. Like we, we made the right decision there. And for them to be able to know that quickly when they spent an entire season with Josh Rosen – and they bring in Kyler Murray, and all of a sudden it's like they seem to have that much confidence in him already. That at least gives a lot of the fans, I think, a lot more confidence to know that this isn't just going to be some flash in the pan. This isn't going to be an area like what we're talking about with Chip Kelly coming in potentially, and then after a year, you know, you ship out all of the talent because this offense is going to work. 
it's more about adding to the talent, building onto it. And that's what I think at least is most important. So let's transition with that being the case into Steve Keim. Um, just to review at least a year ago, the news started at least to leak out probably, I want to say at least a couple of days after um, the 4th of July was finished. Um, the footage, at least with everything, it was, I believe, on July 10th, at least, was when it was leaking. So um, you just had Steve Kime was pulled over, at least by a police officer. It was that he had a DUI on the 4th of July. It was probably about 1030 or so at night, driving a car that wasn't his. Um, this was just kind of a spot where, because there was so little going on in the NFL, it wasn't maybe as big as a Jim Ursay when that DUI happened. But because of the timing of everything, um, there was basically no other news going on. So it kind of swept through the NFL with people questioning this, people talking and bringing up other past GMs and other people had struggled with it. There was even early reports that some had had that Steve kind of misidentified himself as the team's director of security. Um, and so then all of a sudden you're like, Oh gosh, this is just looking, it's awful. And the car wasn't his. And then when the video comes out and you see that it was taken out of context, you look and see with Michael Bidwell, the fine, I believe of about $200,000, a five week suspension. You saw Quentin Harris, who's kind of now taken over. I believe it was um, Terry McDonough, uh, with his old role that he had, uh, as far as the assistant director of player personnel, you were wondering if was Terry going to get promoted? Was Quentin going to get promoted? There was just all of these questions. Cardinals fans had kind was gone during essentially this time of making these type of decisions. Like I, if you look at the time frame, like Steve kind, I believe he, they didn't Cardinals obviously didn't take anyone in the supplemental draft, but the team may not even been in position to be able to make that selection. So it's very interesting, John, but what were some of your thoughts, at least as the, t- uh, the time as we kind of reflect back on that, not to, you know, throw Kime under the bus there, but it was just a very serious offense that we had to the point where we were even questioning ourselves. Is this the right move for the Cardinals to make in, in keeping Steve Kime? Yeah. You, you go back to that time frame, and we were celebrating Kime because it was a few weeks, maybe even a month after he had made a trade engineer trade for what we thought was the, best value in the 2018 draft and, and trading up for Josh Rosen. And I, you know, I was the first to admit Kime had made mistakes in previous drafts, but I was excited about that move. And I, I, I applauded Steve. I mean, to get Josh Rosen for only what equated for a third and a fifth, you know, I was just like, he's, he's back, he's, he's back and, and making the kind of personnel moves he did when he first started. Uh, but then he got the extreme DUI last 4th of July. And I was first to say on this podcast, I said, if they fire him, I have no problem with it. I didn't mm-hmm. openly push for the team to fire him, but I yep. said, you know, I'm not, I don't, number one, I never feel like we have all the facts with those kind of things. And then, you know, also like he had never had issues before previously that we know about. Um, and they did suspend him for five weeks, but like, I would have had no problem at all being just completely disconnected to the situation with them firing him and promoting from within and doing a GM search the following off season. Um, but it was definitely, I think Kyle would tell you the worst professional career or year of his professional career, that being 2018 with, you just mentioned all of the moves and I'm lumping in Kimes extreme DUI into his professional career. And I don't know, like from a personal standpoint, I'm just, I'm just assuming like I'm, I'm lumping this all together into one. So you, you've already talked about the two horrific quarterback contracts last year in Bradford and Glennon, clearly the Rosen pick we loved at the time didn't work out. Steve Wilkes, 
hiring a coach in over his head, allowing him to to put together one of the worst defensive staffs or excuse me, offensive staffs we've ever seen with Mike McCoy. Um, just putting together, a, it was not a pro level staff. Um, and then, you know, shortly after the Arians retirement, it just kind of all went downhill. Um, yep. And so, you know, we get through last season and there was speculation would Steve retain his position as GM? Would they part, um, you know, mutually what would Michael Bidwell do? Cause it was his decision. And Michael Bidwell came out in that press conference, hand in hand with Steve Kine, basically saying this guy has overseen the longest run of success, which is he's correct that this team has, this franchise has ever had outside of 2018. They've had one losing season under his watch and it was seven, eight and one from 2013 to 2015. That team was humming double digit wins, two playoff yep. appearances and NFC championship appearance and Kime. If you think the 2018 roster is poor, it's very comparable to what the Cardinals had in 2012. Sure, there were a couple mm. good players here or there, and they weren't first overall pick bad, but they, that was a horrific roster. And I remember that first offseason. He brought in so many players on one-year contracts. Listen, the Jonathan Cooper deal didn't work out, but most of us liked the pick at the time. And outside of injuries, I think he would have been a, a contributor for this franchise. But mm-hmm. you know, I digress. Kime, to me... This offseason has shown you that he is capable of making changes, good good or bad. We don't know yep. how this how this rookie class is going to pan out. I have my I have my issues with the Byron Murphy pick, not because of the player, but because of you know the tackle situation. Sure. And I've I mentioned that before. But at the same time, he is somebody I think that is going to showcase to the rest of the league whether or not he has it in him to rebound professionally. Because we always talk about coaches getting multiple opportunities you know, retread coaches becoming coordinators again. It's a cycle. It's a, it's cyclical, but rarely do GMs get multiple chances unless you hit it out of the park. And for whatever reason, you couldn't get along with a head coach or an owner. Um, but rarely, if you get fired as a GM, rarely are you going to have an opportunity to be a GM again. Um, yeah. And so this is really Kime's last swing at, at, at riding the ship because he knows if I hit on Murray, I get some of these draft picks, right. I'm right back in this game and we, can be competitive soon. And so I, 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 I'm, I'm excited for this upcoming season because of the new blood that they brought in. But I, I also agree that had the team wanted to move on from time, whether, whether it be from, you know, what happened on or off the field, I wouldn't have had a problem with it. But I, again, I want people to understand that this franchise has been inept since the late 1960s. They've only had a handful of playoff appearances. So if you're Michael Bidwell, and I'm just trying to think from his perspective, and you watch what his father went through historically, you're the laughing stock of the league. And this man comes in, even after the Wizenhunt success that we now mm-hmm. attribute all to Kurt Warner, this man comes in without stable quarterback play finds a quarterback for cheap finds a head coach that nobody else wanted that nobody else identified and rolled the dice and hit it hit it out of the park found you know he was part he was part of that Todd Bowles hiring that then became defensive coordinator of the year and and parlayed that into a head coaching job I mean Kime had very few misses and some of the biggest hits that I've seen from a first-year GM in some time everybody loves Chris Ballard right now for good reason but that was Steve Kime four or five years ago. And he didn't have an Andrew Luck. He had an old Carson Palmer. He had an old Bruce Arians. And so what I would say is that I I give him last season as a mulligan season, not mm-hmm. including the DUI. But you have to see consistent progress this year on the field. And if they do that, then I have no problem giving him another chance 
but it's it's going to be a year to year basis right now, Blake. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's where a lot of Cardinals fans had questioned if the, there was even rumors that the team was going to clean house and start over from scratch, get a brand new GM, brand new head coach. And what it kind of turned into, I think, was more of Michael Bidwell and Steve Kimes sitting down and assessing, saying, hey, things did not go according to plan. Let's reset and make a change and show commitment to change. I think that we can tell at least just from whether well, it was conversations that Steve Wilkes, it was not going to be an area where he was going to change. The changes were not going to be as um, sweeping as they would have wanted. And change is pretty active and happens often with GMs. Like We still don't know what the future of Steve Keim is. We we could even talk about with GMs who get maybe a second chance. Mike McCagden of the Jets, you could say, got a second chance. And, you know, about four weeks or so after the draft, he was out of a job completely as Adam Gase kind of took over and they hired Joe Douglas, who was – a person a lot of people were saying, hey, if the Cardinals do fire Steve Kime, go out and get this guy. It's The NFL, again, is always a not-for-long type of league. And um, just with laying out the decisions, I think the biggest question was for Cardinals fans, how did Kime get them into that spot in the place in the first place, essentially? And so I kind of went through and did a little uh, thread, at least, just kind of putting down some of my thoughts about kind of where – well, I feel the difference with this type of Steve Kime in this offseason versus last offseason. And I think the difference is, is that in this offseason, the Cardinals, because of that number one pick and because of how aggressive they've had to be because of the commitment to change, they've gone through and have essentially been able to go out and kind of, I guess the best way you can say is they know what they want this time around last year. I think they didn't know what they want. If you look at where entering into the 2018 off season, Bruce Arians retires, no other quarterbacks on the roster, Carson Palmer retires. I think that what they were looking at for plan a, from what we knew was that they were probably going to try to get one of the three Vikings quarterbacks. It was going to be one of case Keenum, one of Sam Bradford, maybe one of Teddy Bridgewater pair that with a picket quarterback and with the Vikings offensive coordinator, Pat Shermer. That way there was a familiarity. That was the case. I think if they had their way without it, i he was a huge fan of Josh Allen from what we've talked about in the podcast. We kind of disagreed with some of that, but we've seen even in Buffalo, he's been able to make it work with, his mobility is deep ball plan ape didn't happen. He goes to the jets case Keenum signs with the Broncos. They end up getting Sam Bradford. They do overpay for him. However, that's kind of a one compromise. I think plan B, and this is kind of where perhaps there was a bit of a split on was the idea of James Betcher coming in as head coach. He was tapping Mike McCoy and Chuck Pagano from reports that we had heard keeping Byron left, which, um, that seems like that was kind of the plan B that didn't happen either. For whatever reason, James Betcher did not seem to really impress as much as a head coach option. Plan C seemed to be a combination of, Hey, Steve Wilkes. We talked about how tapping John DeFilippo potentially as his offensive coordinator, but lack of experience in the staff. He was going from quarterback coach to offensive coordinator. I used, you know, about only 38 years old or so never been a head coach before at any level. So I think that the compromise that the Cardinals came to was they didn't get their coach one. They probably didn't even truly get like maybe their second option at coach. They go with Steve Wilkes and they take Mike McCoy who, you know, after a couple of interviews, it took a few weeks to be able to kind of identify the right guy for the job and up with Sam Bradford. And it was a train wreck. This was a 34 to zero loss where they didn't make it until midfield until halftime. They just did not have the X's and O's under Steve Wilkes. Bradford couldn't throw the ball past 15 yards. He was gun shy. He was getting rid of the ball too quickly and top it all off. Mike McCoy and the scheme overcomplicated everything. So when they brought Josh Rosen into this thing, just 
quickly declined. Rosen, I think even statistically they showed from uh, the DVOA, which is crazy to see today. I think I sent this along to you. Uh, his DVOA, at least, which is just kind of, you know, the best metric you can have is how much he's adding essentially as a player to the rest of the team individually. It was in the negative 30s and it dropped all the way down to negative 70 over the last few weeks of the year when there was no offensive line. Kirk was gone, no wide receivers. It just showed the Cardinals had no talent and no support system for Josh Rosen. And then instead of that getting stronger, it got weaker as things went on where the team didn't change and adjust. So. Compare that to this year, Cardinals go out and target Cliff Kingsbury right away at the interview Adam Gase. Doesn't seem like it ends up working out. They go ahead and they target Kyler Murray. The reports, even as early as January 12th, were that, hey, this is a potential option. Schefter didn't turn it down like most people thought he would. And you look at what the Cardinals have done in their first round of each guy. They've gotten a Byron Murphy. They're able to you know, go and pull up a guy like I believe they had uh, that was at the Zach Allen, at least. And then with the uh, third round pick, being able to get Andy Isabella as well at the end of the second round, taking Hakeem Butler, which I think is a huge coup for the team when you're talking about uh, player value. If you want to take a look at there's a famous kind of catch that he made. Essentially, he Randy Mossed <laughs> the, uh, Jalen Thompson, uh, the Cardinals newest safety in that game where he just reaches up and snags it over there. All six, six of him adding a Keyshawn Johnson veteran guy and then Deontay Thompson we've talked about. So each of the different areas of the Cardinals, I think, from this offseason we've seen with Kime has been they've kind of gone after their plan. A what's different is they've actually gotten their plan A this time. And that to me is probably what's most encouraging, John, is that it feels like the Cardinals have an identity again and they're actually able to build towards that identity. Yeah, absolutely. And the more they stockpile young talent, again, the the better off they are in the long run. What has ended up happening with this team is they've tried to do too many Band-Aid fits, whether it's in free agency with the quarterback position, the offensive line. We're seeing the Cardinals take the brunt of that right now. We're, they're stuck with several bad contracts uh, probably for the next year. Um, we've talked about the quarterback position, how much it's been in flux. But when you have consistency and you build through the draft, like you just mentioned, and you have a clear identity, the, the Cardinals went out and got Cliff Kingsbury, the players that he wanted to best execute his scheme. And Kime, say what you want about him, he and Arians work side by side in that regard to almost a fault, as we've seen uh, in the famous, uh, I believe, the famous 2017 draft in which Arians was supposedly in Kime's ear and they didn't want to take a quarterback, i.e. Patrick Mahomes. Um, but again, you see the fact that Kime and work is working with Kingsbury hand in hand, helped him pick out his defensive staff, clearly has uh, a niche for exactly what he wants to do from a personnel standpoint. Cliff Kingsbury said, I'm good with with the running backs we have. We don't need to take one. And, and the Cardinals didn't. And then he also said, hey, we need a new influx of young talent receiver. And the Cardinals went out and got a bunch of playmakers on the outside. And then, of course, the cherry on top being Kyler Murray. But you talk about the relationship that he had with Andy Isabella. That can't be ignored with Hakeem Butler. That can't be ignored. So, I mean, say what you want about Kime. He's going heavy on the analytics, and he's going heavy on exactly the kind of players that fits his scheme. And one of my biggest gripes last year is he went with a head coach that refused to play 
players in not only in the positions that they were meant to play in when they were drafted, but just play that flat out not play them. I mean, Dale Buchanan yep. should have been consistently playing for this team and rode the bench majority of last season. They had guys like Josh Bynes having snaps over Hassan Reddick. Kime going on radio on Friday afternoons basically saying, like, I don't have an answer for this. Mm-hmm. We're not going to see that kind of confusion with Kime and Cl- Cliff Kingsbury. They're they're going to work cohesively. And that's that's how the best teams do it. That's how John Schneider and Pete Carroll operate. That's how the best front offices and head coach combinations operate and have sustained success, you know, over, you know, a decade or, or plus. And so for, for good or bad, Kime is going out saying, I'm going to empower my head coach to be able to go out and feel comfortable with the players that he has each and every Sunday. And I think that's a testament to how much confidence Blake he has in, in Cliff Kingsbury and the, the idea mm-hmm. that, okay, I think we all agree there are going to be some growing pains this season on both sides of the ball, but they're going to have significant improvement offensively. And then defensively, yeah, it's going to take some time. You're missing arguably your best player for six weeks. You're implementing yet another new scheme. Um, but I, I'm excited to see the development. And I, I've never, and I can't stress this enough, and it's not just because they're getting multiple primetime games. I've never been more excited to watch preseason football than because I get to see all of these new players, all of these new rookies contribute. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, definitely. I think that it's one of the areas where, uh, for Cardinals fans, last year, part of the reason why it was such a drag was because even though there were warning signs heading into the season, once you were in the season, anyone who was a fan of the team who, even people who didn't know football at all, were basically just able to say, this is just, this is not working. And you, when it's that case of that broken, like it, was, it was the broken to the point where, you look at the first game against um, the Seahawks with Josh Rosen with that missed play on third and two, where instead of, you know, instead of running the, instead of letting Josh Rosen who had, you know, played solid throughout the game, keeping the the game in his hands, handed it off on a delayed handoff. It was just kind of a eh, a play call. At least I was just trying to be too safe, too conservative. You weren't really carrying on winning the game and you weren't playing to ultimately win the game you missed that and so i remember talking at least with you know my dad it's just like so what happened during the game he's like oh they went and called a run at least on third and two overall for that one's like called a run on third and two they didn't let rosen throw up it's like he'd been on fire the whole game he's like that's that's bad coaching and so it's like okay we're four games into this era people who aren't even like you know hardcore football diehards like us are able to identify that bears fans were basically just saying yeah why are they putting in Rosen now, at least this is just a terrible decision. That's where you're able to see. And now we're looking at the part where it's the off season of Cardinals fans are actually having, you know, I guess you could say something to at least kind of believe in to recognize that this team is hoping to have some sort of sustained success, John, because we've talked about this a lot, how uh, the history of the team has not been pretty. And what the whole goal is you want to have is you don't want to just be a win now team that, We've seen with the Arizona Cardinals in 2015, we saw a team that got the entire state rallying around them and they couldn't follow up on it in 2016 or in 2017. They had an aging quarterback and didn't address it. Um, that's part of what we'd have to look at. So for me and my money, at least I know that's something where um, I had this pose as a question, at least earlier from someone was, well, the we prefer that the Cardinals have the current GM or no GM at all for the coming season. I think that it's pretty obvious to me that Steve Kime at this point even if things do end terribly, the fact that he at least swung the bat and tried and has done everything that he possibly can 
from the hiring of Kingsbury to even letting Rosen go after just a year under the contract, which, you know, no team in the modern era had done of drafting two first round quarterbacks in at least since the two thousands. And then bringing in a guy who ultimately fits the team and the defense much better. Like you can watch uh, Jalen Thompson play and you can watch the Cardinals in 2017 play and you can watch Vance Joseph's Broncos defense and you can plug all those guys in together and say, yes, this team has an identity again. And it's something that I think fans should get excited about and should rally around. We've got only a few weeks left up until training camp, John. I know it's exciting. Starts on July 24th, I believe, is when they report. Uh, July 25th is the first open practice. I'm planning at least on being there. It'll be very interesting as far as the amount of plays amount of things that we see you know because last year at training camp we saw david johnson line up as a fullback and run plays and that never happened during the regular season uh, what are your thoughts as far as what do you think that we'll see from kingsbury will we see anything what are some of your thoughts at least on if there's any other differences or changes that we're going to have from what we've been used to seeing at cardinals camp or is it going to be more just business as usual uh, i've been trying to go back and find old practice clips from Kingsbury because we haven't gotten much from the Cardinal website. They do a great job in their coverage, but there just hasn't been enough content yet. There haven't been enough practices and during OTAs and minicamp for me to get anything concrete. So I've been pulling up like old Texas tech practices that they've had. And he was incredibly player friendly. He had his hand in everything. Um, his sound bites were pretty hilarious. Um, the players loved <laughs> playing for him. We've we've seen that famous clip of him dancing and screwing around at the end of practice. It looked like some kind of like semi Oklahoma drill. I mean, he just he's in he's got an infectious personality. He's incredibly down to earth. He reminds me a little bit of like Andy Reid, just kind of like a playful guy. Um, and Wilkes, I, I you know I appreciated Wilkes and his demeanor, especially when the Cardinals hired him. But this is this is a completely different coach for good and bad. This is somebody who is going to be very relatable for a lot of these young players. And I think that's why the Cardinals feel comfortable drafting a lot of the young players and playing a lot of young guys this year because they have a 39-year-old head coach. They have a head coach who I think has an opportunity now to tap into what Sean McVay did in Los Angeles, what some of these younger coaches are doing in Chicago. Um, so I, I think he's got an opportunity, Blake, to come in and set the tempo right away that last year was last year. You know, these rookies are are going to have an opportunity to earn a spot. Clearly, this is not going to be what we saw really with the previous two regimes. And I think that that's, that's something that the Cardinal fans can take solace in. I love Bruce Arians. Mm -hmm. He played outside of really the first year or two. He went with veterans to a fault. He just felt more comfortable with veteran players. And it took a long time for rookies to earn his trust. Ken yep. Wisenhunt was the same way. And then, Lord knows, Steve Wilkes did not like playing young players. He liked going mm -hmm. with veteran players, veteran street free agents, just people that had been in the league longer. Cliff Kingsbury is going to play as many rookies as he needs to, to run his system and to compete. He knows what talent looks like. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be burned in some instances because rookies make mistakes. But I would rather lose and grow with young players in 2019 than to see guys who were signed on a Tuesday get valuable snaps on a Sunday when they've got you know contributors that were drafted in the top four rounds not get an opportunity so i think that's mm -hmm. going to be the biggest change you know schematically i think your guess is as good as mine we talk about the air raid we talk about four wides we talk about no fullback 
Um, but I, I'm just excited to see the development of this offense. I'm excited to see them go live and practice. Knock on wood, please nobody go down. Um, because <laughs> yeah. it's going to be probably the most excited I've been for an offensive group of, of individuals probably since 2015, 2016, when DJ yeah. had that monster year, um, because they've really been slowly regressing to what they were last year, which was just an abomination offensively. Yeah, they were regressed to be that where they went from, you know, a 13 and three team to just having no special teams They had a lot of kind of one score games where special teams lost. They still had a, you know, top 10, um, offense and a top 10 defense in 2016 it was just they couldn't handle with the close games for all of that it couldn't kind of repeat what they did the year before kind of regressed a bit maybe some of that 13 and three as we saw in the playoffs was a little bit of just some of the explosion capturing the league by storm um and then they kind of were at that seven eight and one team where bruce arians kind of willed them <laughs> to be further than that you know kind of five and 11 team they were and last year we thought all right this is where they're finally going to be that five win six win team and they just completely had the you know the, the basement fell out essentially beneath them and they end up with the number one overall pick after uh, some kind of i guess fortunate if you can even say at least help because if you can picture where this team would be if let's say this team was where they were at with cliff kingsbury and the Niners had the number one pick. The Oakland Raiders trade up and are with Kyler Murray. Derek Carr ends up being the guy who goes to Miami instead. And you've got Josh Rosen and Quinn Williams. People are still excited, but there's not the same type of, I guess you could say, fervor and anticipation that you would at least have just because of, and from everything we even talked about, John, like when I did this thing, like, holy cow, like this might actually be even like the right decision as far as not just because of the the fit with cliff Kingsbury, but also maybe even just the player themselves is that. And now what's been fun for me to see has been how a lot of the players and stuff have been sharing more about how, Hey, cliff's been winning over more people, at least not just with the personality. When you talk about, uh, like you mentioned, Andy Reed, this is almost a perfect comparison because it's a player's coach who still is going to be the hardest working guy in the room. And it's also a chance to be whether the smartest guy in the room, but they're not going to act like the smartest guy in the room. That was the one thing I think that was always frustrating with me about Mike McCoy was he's like, well, you know what? Our offense, the guys aren't picking it up. We're going to have to dumb it down for them. And you know, Steve Wilkes, Blake, to, yeah. to, to, to yeah, some Steve degree. Steve Wilkes to a degree, too. He was, yeah, he even talked about it where he came out and said, hey, we had a good game plan. The players just didn't execute. It was that, whereas Cliff Kingsbury in a lot of instances have come out and said, hey, I've still got a lot to learn. There's still that confidence he has as far as saying the scheme. Like, we can even tell just from some of the few little practice clips we've seen, it's still going to have kind of the, the hand clap that you saw at Oklahoma. A lot of that college game, even a little bit of that with chip Kelly was incorporated. Some of that can be either either it's a timing pattern. Or not. There's some players who question if that's going to be a detractor for the team or not. A lot of it, I think is it's not going to matter as much because even if you're trying to rush the passer uh, and you see them hand clapping, it's not going to really matter if the ball gets out before you can get there, or if you're going to always have to be playing that Kyler Murray could take off at any time. And you're not going to be able to just go and be like, Oh great. I'm rushing the pass. And all of a sudden, Hey, he's gone. Or, Hey, this was a screen pass to David Johnson on the outside. And suddenly no one is there in wide open space. So that's where I think that it's going to turn out to be my questions. Not as much about if this can work in the NFL. We already saw last year, Patrick Mahomes threw for 50 touchdowns primarily by incorporating some of Andy Reid's scheme with what Cliff Kingsbury and Patrick Mahomes essentially ran at Texas Tech. The question I have is more of when the team does hit the wall, when they start to lose, 
is it going to be the case of if they're going to be able to bounce back? Because the Cardinals under Steve Wilkes and Mike McCoy, they did not bounce back. They laid flat. They let Phillip Rivers complete as many passes as possible as soon as the first turnover happened in that game. As soon as the team was under heavy pressure, at least in the end of the Chiefs game, things just went out of hand. The Chiefs were able to run up the score. As soon as things went out of hand in the Broncos game, they just laid flat. Is this a team, John, do you think that will lay flat Potentially, if this collegiate option, if things like start breaking down or things don't work or you play, you know, week two on, on the road and an early morning start on the Ravens, things just aren't clicking as much with a rookie quarterback and rookie wide receivers, because I don't feel like it's going to be the same thing, considering that we didn't see Murray lay down at the same time in college. Now, granted, that's the same thing we saw with Josh Rosen. But what I find interesting is that Cliff Kingsbury, it's not like he's a Jim Harbaugh who has had before he got to the Niners, had success everywhere he went. It's not like it's a Nick Saban who dominated the college football came in. This is a guy who ultimately did have a ton of struggles and still ultimately kept fighting, even in his final season with the team. I just think back to that last play in the Oklahoma game where they came out strong. Kyler Murray came back. They took the lead. He's got his essentially third-string quarterback in the game, and they're throwing passes to try to get a two-point conversion to tie or win the game in like the last minute of the fourth quarter. They we're still fighting even in that losing effort. So that's my opinion, John, is that it's going to be a different caliber of team from last year. And I think that is part of what's going to mimic the coaches. It's not going to be a type of fire under pressure. It's not going to be, you know, the guy like Bruce Arians who was yelling and swearing at people. It's just a different approach, but it's one that I think that this team kind of needs, at least at this current time. And I'm curious to see how it'll pan out, especially if the Cardinals do have a six and 10 year filled with struggles. Yeah, I, I think they could that could absolutely be possible. I just I think that the Cardinals view this year as kind of a nowhere to go but up situation based on the chaos <laughs> that it. surrounded this team last year. There is no way they could be even if Kyler Murray, God forbid, went down and they had to play Brett Hundley. I would still feel so much more confident that the Cardinals could score points more than they than they did a year ago even with Rosen, because they were so inept offensively. Um, I do think that they could potentially take a step back defensively, but at the same time, that necessarily doesn't need need me to believe that they could achieve less from a win standpoint. Uh, I do not think this team will suddenly fall by the wayside and try to implement multiple offenses like the team did last year in complete panic mode. I think Cliff Kingsbury is confident enough in himself and his philosophy to be able to put the time in and to get production. And I think he's got the most important factor in that being a quarterback that he believes in. I think we've seen too many examples now of quarterbacks within this league. When you have an opportunity to have a quarterback that can harness the ability not only to move with the football, create plays on his own, create plays with his feet, occasionally run the option. But when you're as accurate as Kyler Murray is, it is very difficult to be a bust in the NFL and to not contribute to some level offensively and to not be some sort of a success. Will he be a Pro Bowl quarterback? I hope so. That's not a guarantee. Mm -hmm. But the guys that don't pan out are either too inaccurate or are too injury prone to continually succeed at this level. Um, So I I, I just Kyler just does not have the makeup of somebody who's going to play 16 games if he plays 16 games and not produce points. Even if this team is struggling defensively, I think they're going to be in a lot of shootouts. I think they're going to have an opportunity to catch teams by surprise. They could play spoiler toward the end of the year. Hopefully 
when they're humming offensively and improving week in and week out. But, you know, they're going to have games where they struggle offensively like every team does based on scenario you just mentioned. Could be traveling East Coast to play Baltimore, early time zone game. It could be on a primetime game that they're not prepared for. Could be against a division rival that's got their number. But for whatever reason, the Cardinals are going to they're going to they're going to go through growing pains. And that's not uncommon. The biggest thing Mm -hmm. last year with the Cardinals is they got progressively worse and unwatchable over the course of 16 games. It got to the point where the Cardinals would have been better off just not playing the games at all. It was it was that difficult to watch the Cardinals are hopefully going to be and you can already kind of see glimpses of what some of the national pundits feel like the Cardinals mm-hmm. could do this year not necessarily from a win-loss perspective but I mean I've got the Roto World fantasy football book in front of me and Kyler Murray's on the cover asking the bit in big bold print will, will Kyler Murray be a top five quarterback this year from a fantasy perspective I mean mm-hmm. they're asking that question you don't think the Cardinals are going to score points Kyler Murray of course is also donning the 100th season record in fact book along with I believe Bart Starr and Tom Brady so <laughs> imagine that, that trio that you so have right the now. hype is Star, absolutely right and Kyler, the five what? nine five <laughs> ten and a half Kyler Murray and don't get me wrong the NFL wants Kyler Murray to succeed for a lot of different reasons. They want young kids, young, short, undersized kids to think I can do that. I can have success, not to get too philosophical, but that's kind of what Steph Curry did for the NBA, undersized player, three point shooter, Uh, Kyler Murray, five, nine and a half, five, 10 quarterback going first overall. If he has success in today's NFL, I mean, that's, that's what the league wants. African-American quarterback. Who's a good person. Who's, uh, you know, down to earth off the field seems like by all accounts, just a, a really stand up guy that is also undersized, that is electric on the football field. I mean, he's he is the complete package for the NFL right now. And so I just I think that this team has an opportunity based on all everything that we're hearing, Blake, and you and I are on Twitter constantly, probably too much. But from the Evan Silvers of the world, people who are in the know feel like the Cardinals could have one of the sneaky, most fun and explosive offenses this year. And I have no reason to doubt that. Of course, they're going to go through their growing pains. But I I initially, and I'll be transparent with you, thought that this team could be a top 20 offense. And that's that's a big step from last year where they were 32nd and probably should have been worse than that. I think now, based on what I'm reading and the Kool-Aid that I'm drinking, I think they're <laughs> going to be... I think they're, they're, they have a chance to be a top 12 offense um, based, based on the personnel that they brought in, based on how, what we're hearing with Murray and some of these receivers, based on the, the shape David Johnson's in, and based on the fact that I think they're going to score a lot of garbage time points because the defense yep. isn't going to be very good. I think they have an, oper- an outside chance to crack the top 12. Um, and, and so that, that's, that gives me hope that this team will ascend not only the latter mm-hmm. part of this year, but going into 2020. Yeah, I mean, you could even look at um, last year with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, not a team that was anywhere close to playoff contention. Just the example I was thinking of. Had a top five offense. And what's crazy about that is if you look at how they did it with even with two different quarterbacks with the coordinator who is actually now with the Browns, that was kind of one of the guys I said I wanted to bring him here in Arizona was because they ran a lot of the stuff out of that collegiate playbook as far as being able to take shots, be aggressive. There was a lot of turnovers, at least, and there was no secondary. So that's the case where Patrick Peterson's gone for six games. I think that what you're right on about what the NFL is, the NFL can tell that people are thirsty for in essence for Kyler mania. It's not quite as far as like, it's not quite maybe what Tebow mania was 
Maybe it's not quite as much as what we've seen in the last couple of years. But it's, what ba- it's, it's bigger than was. what Baker got last year. Absolutely. But it's bigger than what Baker got last year. And then when Baker really took off, ultimately, was when he took over in the Jets game. Where people were like, wow, like this this guy who was the Heisman Trophy winner, was the best player in college football. That's what Kyler Murray was last year. The biggest difference, obviously, they're like, oh, man, this is a guy who we thought was, you know, a third round pick. He's a little smaller. Instead, he goes number one overall. This year, it's the guy who people like he wasn't even playing football. And now he's playing in the, in the NFL. And uh, I think that you're right that the national media feels that people want to see it. The Cardinals seem to be in demand. Even just the news earlier, I believe, today of the Cardinals are now going to be having NFL Network stream 13 preseason games live for a national TV audience. Two of those include the Arizona Cardinals. One Pretty also nuts. Was, including was the preseason game. So even though the Cardinals still have one nationally televised game, I, I, John, I think you're right. I think they'll get two. Think that they'll get the Browns game at the end of the year because yeah, they're going to get flexed. Baker, Kyler, they'll get flexed. It's also a spot where you never know if it's going to be the last home game for Larry Fitzgerald. I think that game gets flexed. This is a, an area where people are thirsting for this, and in that case, it's pretty much exactly what Michael Bidwell wants. Now, in order for them to have that type of offenses, as I transition here, they're going to have to have protection from an offensive line that kind of historically with the Cardinals and even with past players has not really been that good at protecting guys. And they've got a couple additions with Marcus Gilbert at right tackle. They added J.R. Sweezy. Uh, obviously they're getting AQ Shipley back, but still trusting some of the same players. And one of those guys, this is kind of where you had your first Revenge of the Birds article on was DJ Humphrey. So I wanted you to talk a bit about that because you essentially have been on this all off season, at least for all of that, where there's obviously been disagreement where the Cardinals decided to pay him $9 million for that fifth year option, brought him back. You disagreed with that move and believe that he can't be trusted. Let's talk a little bit about that with that. And then kind of reflects maybe even a little chance for you to you know, promote your first article, at least as a uh, staff writer for revenge of the birds, at least and then we can get into some Q and a. Sure. Yeah. I appreciate it, Blake. I appreciate the publicity. Please check out <laughs> all of our content at revenge of the birds.com. But yeah, I have been, um, one of the big, I don't even want to call it like DJ Humphrey detractors. I just, I feel like, and this is just not me piling on. I just, this is a, a blanket statement. And most of my articles are going to be, um, a little, I, I would think like it's going to be controversial stuff. I, I, I want you guys to be able to go to revenge of the birds and be able to read stuff that you don't see other places. You're not going to see this kind of stuff. Uh, obviously on the team website, this isn't fluff content. This is stuff that I feel like maybe a lot of fans are thinking, but you know, aren't saying it. I, I feel like he gets excuses continually made for him because when he does play that being DJ Humphreys, he's adequate, right? It's a solid player, mm-hmm. maybe a little bit below average from a pass perspective, passing perspective standpoint. And from run blocking, he's actually a little bit better than average, which is the mm-hmm. alternate reality in which he was coming out because everybody told me coming out of Florida that year, how great of a pass protector he was. Um, but that's neither hero there. Yeah. The Cardinals had an opportunity to, Cut bait with DJ Humphreys, who has played consistently 6.75 games per season since he came into the NFL, Blake. And if you take out that entire rookie season in which Bruce Arian said, you 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 are not capable of, of dressing on our yeah. roster right now. You are not good enough to even be a backup, to be on special teams, to be on whatever. They said, you're not dressing at all. And that he was their first round pick. And I granted that team was loaded, but still, if you take out that season, He's still averaging nine games per season from 2016, which was the majority to last season, all of which mm-hmm. have ended in IR. And you think about the state of the, the, I think the one thing that bothers me the most, Blake, is that, and it's, it's, it's not his fault. I guess this is more on the team, 
but the team let him consistently practice last year and take up valuable reps over the course of the week. I can't, I mentioned this in the article, I can't count how many times last year Humphreys would practice, you know, multiple times in a given week and everybody would lead to believe like he'll be active this weekend. And then Mm -hmm. we check our phones and we check the inactives 90 minutes before game time. He's inactive. And so you've got street free agents, you've got practice squad players filling in Corey Cunningham, who I like, who somebody pointed out, why didn't you talk about him? Because he's a seventh round rookie, pass protecting yeah. <laughs> in place, have been in there, f- first round draft yeah. pick who's in who's been in the league for three plus years. So I, I get the frustration, but uh, to me that that's the biggest detriment is he, he would lead the team to believe or the team would lead of us to believe one of the two. But everything coming from the team side would be he's practicing. It looks like he's going to play. We got sound bites from Wilkes. Looks like he's going to play. And then for whatever reason, knees flaring up, he's inactive. So the Cardinals, long story short, had an opportunity just to let's move on. Okay, you picked up his fifth-year option. Even if you wanted to keep him, Blake, bringing real competition, either in free agency, if you wanted to double up at the position, hey, Mm -hmm. if any team needs depth at the position, it's the Cardinals, or, of course, in the draft. And they did neither. And I think the... Yeah, they the, brought in one guy, basically, as far recently, as... Recently. Recently. And, and was, they had no opportunity... Anderson who the Browns cut, and they, you know, may have needed left half. And they didn't know that... Yeah, they didn't know that was going to happen. They they were comfortable with their tackle depth at that point, which is scary to think about. But you... The, the the latter is is what frustrates me the most, especially you know I read articles on other teams like we both do. We're junkies and we and we go through other newspapers online publications and you know I come across an article the other day and it's about how great Cody Ford looks at right tackle mm-hmm. for the Buffalo Bills and I get it he plays right tackle but you know what he also played left tackle at Oklahoma and they're happy with their left tackle play. He could easily come here and be the team's best left tackle. I'm just I'm throwing that out there because that was pointed out. I get that's a fair criticism, but it's not like the Cardinals are in great shape with right tackle either. They just, they need young offensive linemen. So Cody Ford is already the early favorite to start at tackle on Buffalo's offensive line. And he looks very good in their camp. And the Cardinals had an opportunity to take Cody Ford at pick 33 in April's draft. And they opted for a corner and I'm happy with Byron Murphy. And of course people pointed out that Patrick Peterson's suspension played a part in that. Great. But you know what? The Cardinals also fumbled the Josh Rosen situation should have been able to secure that second round pick sooner. And I would have commended them for trading up for somebody like Cody Ford, especially when, and I, I get this, this is not how the NFL is run and you shouldn't have, players picking other players but you know to me Cody Ford just checked all of the boxes he had a relationship with Kyler Murray he had a relationship with the scheme that the Cardinals are running he was an all-american he had a first round grade he had no injury concerns um I, I the Kyler Murray lobbied for him day two of the draft on that Friday morning during his press conference and now the, the likelihood is you're going to see Cody Ford produce at potentially a high level and I point this out in the article He's going to start for a team that Buffalo Bills have playoff aspirations. DJ Humphreys could not dress as a rookie. And now people are saying, well, DJ will be fine. This is his breakout season. The breakout season is, I'm going to be completely and 100% honest with folks that are listening. The breakout season is not coming. It will never come. You should be hoping for 14 healthy games so he doesn't get his second consecutive rookie quarterback killed. And I get it. His, his play on the field is average. But him not playing is is the same thing as him playing poorly during the game because your your the best ability is your ability to stay healthy and he can't do that and the Cardinals are paying him the 16th highest paid left tackle money in, in the NFL and it just stuff like that bothers me because we all are, are hoping Blake 
that Kyler Murray can be the savior of this franchise. He will not get the opportunity if the pass protection looks anywhere close to what it was last year. And right. to, to, to trot him out at left tackle, I think, is, does it, is a disservice to Kyler. I think it's a slap in the face to the fan base after what they witnessed last year. And to have Desmond Harrison is, I think, going to play at some point. But that is your contingency plan, I think, is, is, is very it's disheartening for me. Um, and I, I just hope Kyler can get through this season without anything happening to him because of the state of the Cardinal offensive line. But I'm just, I, I'm over the DJ Humphrey situation because even in late May, I point this out, he's still not fully cleared. They don't, Kingsbury doesn't know when he's going to be fully cleared. How many times have we heard that over the course of a 12 month calendar year with Humphreys? It's just, mm-hmm. it's the Cardinals need to move on. They should have moved on. They had a prime candidate sitting there for him at pick 33 and they, they butchered it like, yeah, I think that's where the the hardest part with me is I think what you would want ultimately if you are a Cardinals fan is you want DJ Humphreys to be healthy, have a good year, and then probably get paid by another team elsewhere because I think the Cardinals with a rookie quarterback with having their picks next year, I think that they're going to either want to use that cap space to sign a tackle long term or they want to draft another tackle long term and then they could address other positions with the uh, rookie cap space that they're going to have. Most of the dead money that they had from last year comes off the books next year. Sure, some guys will need some extensions, but you're going to be able to attack free agency uh, probably better than you're able to this year because you're not going to have as much dead cap. I think with Humphreys, the hardest part for me is that while it's not anywhere near Levi Brown status as far as, you know, why is this guy still here? It's kind of reached that for a lot of fans. And I think I would ultimately agree with you, John, that uh, from what we know of, it seems like with last year that during the end of the season, they're like, yeah, he's probably going to have to go on IR. And it seems like he's probably got a bum knee at this point where there's just issues that are with that knee that are going to always be there for him for the rest of that. And I hope that's not the case for his career. Obviously, again, he's a great personality. He's a guy who ever since that first year, this is different from a Robert Kandichi, who is a guy who, again, had a, uh, we didn't even, I think, talked about it, John, had apparently a second traffic incident that was going on with the team. It seems like the Cardinals are just waiting for the day when they can cut bait and he's able to kind of pass a physical and get let go from that deal. But with Humphreys, it's kind of the guy where you root and want to have success. But like you said, it's just not going to be there. It's a pick that ultimately is going to kind of go down. I think for the Cardinals as a bust, even if he does end up playing well this season, um, just because he's not going to be continuing to do that for the team after this. Uh, my fear, obviously, at least John would be kind of with you is that you see a 2011 Levi Brown resurgent plays eight great games. Team ends up bringing back for a few more years. And then, uh, you know, the bottom falls out again. So that to me is a spot where I feel like with the Cardinals, you're going to end up going into this with probably four of your five spots settled a fifth uh, spot, at least. And this is something I know I've already have heard, at least from people is Humphreys is not a, I'd say guaranteed guy at left tackle from what we know, at least for the most part, uh, Rose Odiambo at least has kind of been splitting some reps there. So maybe it's a spot where the Cardinals are going to be going in with question marks into camp. Maybe that's probably going to be, in my opinion, at least after Murray and the rookies, as far as on offense, how they're using David Johnson, it's probably going to be my, or maybe even who the tight end is for the most part. It's probably going to be my number one question is, is DJ Humphreys going to be the unquestioned starter for the team? Or is it going to be a spot where you start seeing guys rotate and flip in there? And that's really, really curious to see, John. Uh, That's uh, something, obviously, I, I think I can agree with you. 
my biggest thing I think overall is that because of the way that I see Humphreys work and because of the way where he is as a person, I am still at least rooting for him to succeed. I just, again, like you kind of, well, sure. Yeah. I like I, is, I never yeah. want Cardinal players to do poorly, but I like, Absolutely. it's just, we've seen too much of it now. Like you stop feeding him, me, yeah. stop feeding me propaganda from the team side. And I love those guys who run that, but it's just like, I can't stomach another DJ Humphreys loses weight, best shape of his life. It's the breakout season. It's year five, and he yeah. hasn't played a full season. Stop with that. Uh, he hasn't even played, I think. I think there was even something where players who've played, I think, in like two seasons or less, some have even outplayed him. He's only played in like some 30, some 30 games, is it, or something like that? It's like, goodness. So that's the one thing I know that I was uh, wanted to give a shout out with you and your article on for that one. Uh, I let's appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. No, well, and we've got a lot more content coming from John. Uh, next time, I know on the Revenge of the Birds podcast, we've got some of what I've been writing with kind of breaking down the all-time Cardinals. You know, if you had, hey, you've got one game you want to play on one field, who's the player at the position that you would pick and trying to break down some of that. Uh, and then also having fans, you guys, the fans are basically the ones voting for it. So we'll get to assemble the team. And by the time we reach training camp, we'll be able to kind of come on and have our all-time team, which will be fun. Um, let's wrap up tonight, at least with some quick Q&A, at least. Um uh, We've got at Sheldon 0501 said we might have talked about this, but what would be a decent season for Kyler Murray statistically? We could say, yeah, Ooh, be a for the next a decade. So I think we this is kind of what we exactly went over in our fantasy preview. We took the over under. So go back a few episodes uh, at Sheldon 0501. You'll be able to see that. Um, just to kind of wrap up what they were here, at least um, as far as for be the QB for the next decade, it's always hard to predict because you can take a look at RG three, look like he was going to be that guy for the next decade. Then he was, you know, he's now a backup, at least with the Ravens right now, whereas a Russell Wilson drafted the same year. It's going on to win a ring and is the court been the quarterback uh, coming up on a decade for the Seahawks. So I think it's more of what you want to see, at least obviously is Murray's mental development. In my opinion, between years two and three, because he's going to come in strong with Cliff Kingsbury, knowing the scheme. That's a hurdle. I think that Josh Rosen wasn't able to get over, but there's not really like any stat that you can see because everything changes in the NFL. So what I think you do want to look for is his fantasy projections from Mike Clay. He put him at three, 3,798 yards. 22 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, 558 yards on the ground, and three touchdowns on the ground. So about 25 touchdowns total. John, I think you and I both said that based on what we thought of the Cardinals, we would probably take the over for those, especially at least Correct. the running numbers is what we had said. And we think because of being more shootout, it might be closer to 4,000 yards potentially. Now, maybe the – uh, maybe it's a little bit different as far as working, but we looked at it now. I don't think it's going to be quite Cam Newton number. Cam Newton's numbers were insane for a rookie where essentially he was their passing attack and rushing attack at over 4,000 yards. Um, he had, I think almost 30 total touchdowns. I want to say at least it was uh, over 30. It was ridiculous. I don't think he ends up hitting that point. Um, partially because I think they've got David Johnson that they'll actually be able to rely on, but I don't think it would be hesitant to say that he's going to supersede those um, marks. Any other comments on that, John, as far as with Murray's statistics or just the fact of how can we know that this is the guy? Yeah, I was reading the action network the other day on their website and they had a breakdown of what they thought Kyler Murray was going to do. I think it was a staff breakdown and this was their consensus. And so hold on to your seats. Uh, he, they had him as the sixth overall fantasy quarterback. Okay. Uh, so, the, so the hype is, is very real. But they were heavy, heavy, heavy on pass and pretty conservative, I would say, in the run game. Mm-hmm. So I'll start with the run game first. So the, roughly 525 yards rushing, 
uh, with uh, four and a half touchdowns. So give or take a touchdown there. I think we'll both take the over on the rushing and rushing touchdowns, Blake. I think that's pretty consistent with what you're seeing. But from a passing standpoint, if he hits these numbers, um, that I will be um, blown away and really, really excited about the uh, the coming seasons. They had him just under 4,000 yards passing, which is really good, I would say, for a rookie like Murray to come in and hit that mark his first season. And then they had 25 touchdowns to only 13 interceptions, completion percentage right around 62. So if you do the math, he had roughly 4,500 uh, total offense uh, wow. with, with roughly 30 total TDs, um, which is which is crazy high. Um, it's and not think, quite Mahomes' number from last year, but that's like a league winner potentially. Yeah, yeah that's... Like, for, for you, yeah, it's league. number six overall quarterback in fantasy football with, yeah, with uh, some pretty impressive stats. And that was written, so article uh, by the Action Network was written on July 8th, so just a couple days ago. Um, and so I... I'm not I'm not quite ready to go that far for I think his I think his rushing numbers this year will be the highest they will be during his career because I think as he maturation process you see that with guys like Russell Wilson they run less and less as they become more comfortable in the pocket I I really do think Murray could get to like 700 yards rushing this year um, just because Cardinals are going to be in such a disarray on the offensive line still um, until mm-hmm. they develop some quality personnel and some continuity. Um, I do think he'll hit 3,000 yards passing pretty easily. I think he could he, he could get to 3,500. I think anything over like 23, 24 passing touchdowns is great. Um, and then the rushing touchdowns, you could take them or leave them. I would prefer that they go to David Johnson just because it would leave Murray less susceptible to hits. Um, but to- 30 total TDs, I, that would that would be That'd a be slam a dunk rookie great. season. I mean, you think about yeah, but fantastic rookie seasons of the past. I mean, nobody has really come close to that outside of Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott. Um, and somebody asked me the other day, would you take? And I'll I'll pose this question to you, Blake, and I'll pull up the mm-hmm. stats now. Knowing what you know now, and the fact that this team does not compare at all to Dallas's team, his rookie season, and the, the loaded team that he inherited, would you take these stats that came from Dak Prescott's rookie season? So remember, Dak came in as a fourth round pick. They had the best offensive line in football. They had a rookie running back in Zeke Elliott, who who came in as the top five running back in the league, and he led them to a ten and six record with these stats. So he threw for as a or excuse me a thirteen and three record with these stats. He threw for thirty six. 600 yards his completion percentage was almost 68 he had 23 passing touchdowns of course with only the four interceptions and i believe his rushing numbers were equally impressive he had nah, not so much yards and yeah 282 yeah. yards and six touchdowns though but when you take a look at that for over a 16 game span when you're talking about was playing that's actually about you know about 20 rushing yards a game russell wilson only averaged at his most probably about like closer to 30 and mm-hmm. he was even more of a rushing quarterback so you're still talking about hey this is a guy who can still take off and he scored six rushing touchdowns so just the fact that he was so yeah i mean 29 total tds yep i remember that as the red zone threat where i think it was either a read option play where you know, someone in the Cardinals, at least, however the defense was, it was a perfect play call. And Dak just ran and hurdled a player in on that Monday night game, I believe, in 2017. That was and kind that, of that's a big dude, too. Like people forget he's like he's six he's one hefty. and he's thick. I mean, he he's much bigger than Russ is. Yeah, he's still like, he's like two. What is like two thirty five or something? Like yeah, that. He's he like, he's, he's built a, like a like a guy, yeah. yeah, like a running back, like a like a goal line back. But would you take those numbers? Um, and do you think do you think Murray could get to somewhere close to that this season? <laughs> 
Gosh, well, I think that if he does, if he has that interception ratio where he's, you know, has it a lot lower and that that'd be fantastic. Obviously, I think you would take that. Biggest thing is that you would know that it's just, it's better from what the Cardinals had a year ago. And honestly, I think that if, even if you're looking at the improvement from Rosen, I don't think that Rosen would probably be able to hit those numbers in this year, particularly with when we're talking about the rushing numbers. Um, we've also have at least have seen with Josh is that he's going to have to have a lot better protection in order to be able to process and make that play. Um, whereas Kyler's able to run around. So I think that's the biggest area for me is where the Cardinals, I think you would be looking more of year two and then year three with that for Josh, at least unless Cliff scheme ends up being able to convert, you know, just about anyone, which some have guessed that it could honestly, I would take that. The biggest thing I think would be not even a 10 and six record for me, it would just be of being able to, to watch him and to be able to know where it's clear. Because for me, when I went to cards camps in the past, or when I, I remember I was talking with, um, Jess Root at cards wire, this is all the way back in 2013. I'd been kind of just brought on to writing for revenge of the birds. I was like, so what are you seeing from camp? What's kind of the biggest takeaway? He's like, Oh, it's Palmer hands down. Like he's head and shoulders ahead of everyone else. It's mm-hmm. super clear that he's ready as the quarterback. And you look at some of the other players, like with Tyron Matthew, you, you just knew right away. You knew right away with Fitz and with Bolin come out. You just knew right away. Even with David Johnson in the preseason, you were able to just say, Oh, that's the guy you knew it right away. Just because as soon as that light bulb went on, he was having like national people were watching him just turn these huge gains, at least for that one. And uh, behind Chris Johnson, people are like, Oh, Chris Johnson just lost his job this year. And then Arians, of course, you know, started Johnson for about half of a season. And then DJ still up taking over Patrick Peterson, Justin Bethel, all these guys. It's like, you just, you watch them play at least. And you're just like, I know that's Darryl that's Washington it. was in that Darryl same Washington, group as well. That was in that same group for that one with those Pro Bowls. Even Jonathan Cooper, he was in that same one up until the injury. He was their best lineman, yep. He was their best lineman. You remember the first day of camp, you had one-on-one drills, and he was shutting down Clay's Campbell. And you're like, holy crap, this is it. This is the guy. Even what um, I know with the Cardinals in their flight plan episode, it was kind of a little bit of a surprise to me, but that was exactly what um, – uh, their new director, player personnel, Quentin Harris, even said, he said, there's only a couple of handful of guys as a rookie. It just it clicks. You're like, yep, I know. And Jonathan Cooper, when he came in, he was one of those guys. And he suffered a catastrophic leg injury. Things just were never the same. He still showed some starting potential, has bounced around the league, but it's just never had that same type of athleticism or explosion. So my hope is honestly is that if you – if you want to know that Kyler Murray is the guy for the next 10 years, that you just can look at him and then, you know, that's what I hope. And that's what I want to take away from the Cardinals this season. Let's get to a few more questions, at least here. Um, this one from at Epic Calvin G I A P. Uh, if the Cardinals play their cards, right? Haha, is it crazy to think that they could be the first team to win a Super Bowl on their home field? Now we know the Cardinals do have an upcoming Super Bowl, at least in Arizona, but uh, let's walk at least before we can run is kind of the first thing that I can say. At least um, I do think that, they do have a shot of being one of those teams in contention because as we talked about John, the way to win a Super Bowl, it's either to be the New England Patriots with Tom Brady or to have a rookie quarterback contract and be able to then build talent around them before you have to pay them. So what are your thoughts at least on that? That's that's an impossible question to answer. But yeah, like you just mentioned, it, you you want to be in the NFC. You don't want to be in the AFC and have to go through Foxborough. Um, traditionally, the teams to go through the NFC um, kind of taper off after f- a few years. There's not a consistent dominant team like you just mentioned, like you, like the Philadelphia Eagles winning the championship with Carson Wentz on a rookie deal. What the Chiefs are trying to do with Patrick Mahomes, what Jared Goff has done on a rookie deal. I mean, this is the window, and I think. What what should give you hope as a Cardinal fan is the Cardinals wasted that year with with Rosen last year. They, they this year was supposed to be the year that they loaded up and they had a chance to 
go to the postseason, like, you know, all three of those quarterbacks did from the 2017 draft. And people look at Mitch Trubisky and saying that he he took the next step, but the Bears really got aggressive and surrounded him with a ton of talent because they had infinite cap space and resources. <laughs> and control for Khalil Mack. Yeah, that, that, that does Mack help. Absolutely. They were able to get him. <laughs> the Cardinals are in a position this year where they are loading up on, on again, cheap cost controlled talent. They don't really have too many bad contracts on the roster outside of a couple offensive linemen who will, you know, we've named previously Justin Pugh, of course, you know, we don't love the DJ Humphreys contract, but really outside of that, like they're not paying, they've got some dead money from years prior, of course, with those quarterbacks. But you look at the, the landscape for this team in 2020, the spring of 2020. And let's say for instance, that Kyler Murray progresses this year and we have a fun, exciting non-playoff season and they hit on a couple of these young guys. Suddenly they've got momentum to go into next year. Let's say they win six games and they add an abundance of talent and free agency and they maybe make a savvy trade or two and they either trade down in the first round or they get an impact player like a Quentin Nelson in the top 10. Mm -hmm. There'll be a sneaky playoff team for people this time next year. And then after that, in year three, if they continue to ascend, people will be picking them like people are picking Chicago right now to represent the NFC in the Super Bowl, like the Rams in year three with Sean McVay. Go, or I believe it was it year two or year three. I can't. Year three with Jared Goff. Year yep. two with Sean McVay to mm-hmm. to to win a Super Bowl. That's the trajectory you're looking at. The Cardinals need to. This is a foundational year. Anything above, you know, respectable in terms of offense is great. And I think anything outside of, you know, horrific injury to Kyler Murray and, and, and trending well, upward at the player, obviously. Right. any major player, obviously, obviously. Um, that's, that's the, that's the outline. So a two to three year outline, but again, a lot has to go right. You've got to hit on a bunch of players. You got to have this rookie class be one of the best classes in Cardinal history, which is of course, not saying a lot considering their, their draft history, but still. Um, so it's not out of the realm. Of, of course, it's not out of the realm of possibility. You, anytime you pick a quarterback first overall, you're picking him because you think someday he can lead you to a championship. But the Cardinals have a long way to go. But let's let's revisit this next year. I think this is a good question for next year. Yeah, especially because it's the 2022 NFL season. So you're talking about year four of the Kyler Murray area, if you know you're, uh, you're still probably not paying him, or if you or if one. you are, nope. it's going to be deferred to probably the next off season. Yeah, I was going to say because of that fifth year option, every team takes advantage of that fifth year option for the most part, as far as you know, wanting to keep that, and then they add on an extension that adds on top of that already preceding rookie deal. We saw that with Carson Wentz. We saw that now. Obviously, if Kyler does turn out to be, you know, this quarterback that he's being hyped up to be then you're starting to start talking about you know is he going to be making what patrick mahomes makes or is this going to be a spot where we're starting to talk about say hey like it hasn't worked out the way that we thought is this going to be a spot where after his rookie contract he goes back to baseball i don't think that's going to be the case at least for the most part because i think they've done too good a job of trying to give kyler everything that he needs to be to be successful and if he's not going to be successful it won't happen but let's see i start with this first year at the cardinals let's see if we can say yeah kyler is the guy cliff is the guy this is works I, i will say this john last year what was really interesting was after going to camp and seeing bradford and rosen i didn't have the same feeling of up oh, this is the guy that i did previously i felt like he wasn't ready i even mentioned that in the article when i did the write-up i was just like yeah he's just he's not there yet um we'll just have to hope that he can build on each of these areas bradford was better but obviously was not the guy as far as with that we've seen from the team. He was just better at the moment. It was kind of, like you said, even almost reminiscent of that whole Cobb-Skelton type of argument where it was pretty obvious for the most part that 
you know, Kevin Cobb was probably a better or more talented option than John Skelton, but just wasn't able to get kind of as much. He had limitations that was there for the most part that Skelton didn't after a few years under Wiz. So anyway, that's just something as more as that we'll have to see, obviously hoping for all the best for Rosen in his time with Miami. I know you had a tweet that kind of went a little bit viral with some of that, John, with just the appearance of Fitzpatrick and uh, Josh Rosen almost looking like, you know, a dad and his son at least kind of getting ready for or he, uh, or he was being held captive one of, one of the two oh, it was one one of the two of that one. yeah uh let's go we only got a couple of questions after this will be pretty quick to wrap up um uh, from at teaching agent teaching agent jeff he's questioning about the is there more qb instability than we think in the nfc west for that one people are talking about golf as not being a long-term option for la garoppolo at least has not really shown anything outside of those five games and had an injury pass from last year but that is a good point he didn't look like he was anything more than average in those first couple of games last year i know that sure. was one of the things i saw was Bill didn't really have him throw deep in his couple of games. And also, ironically, people forget that he did not finish that season with the Patriots either. He got injured in that, uh, I believe it was the 2016 season after they beat Arizona in week one and week two. Got hurt in week three. Jacoby Brissett went out and got a win for the Patriots to still somehow end up starting, I believe it was 4-0 without Tom Brady. But there are injury questions with Garoppolo that people can have. Do you think that, let's talk about Groff and Garoppolo at least, do you think that there is more QB instability in the NFC West than we might be thinking? Uh, kind of. I think it's a really good question by Jeff. Um of course, Russell Wilson's a Hall of Famer. The Seahawks will be viable as long as he's around. Um, but specifically, let's start with Goff. Um, I think that the the noise around him and the potentially replacing him at some point is just ridiculous propaganda. I don't think it would ever happen. Look at him statistically last year. He's phenomenal. I think he's, it, you know, people say he's not a great fit for Sean McVay. I mean, like, you know, theoretically, when are they going to be in a position to get somebody better than him? I think the biggest question for Jared is when they have to pay him and what the rest of that roster will look like. Yep, this is will the they, last cheap year. Right? Cheap will year they will they take a step back? Yeah, probably. They just less need. It's up to him to to be able to field a competitive team around a quarterback making big time money, top top seven money. Um, and that'll be the biggest question mark. But I I, I do think Jared Goff and Sean McMahon are, are are tied at the hip. Garoppolo is the one. I think you hit the nail on the head, Blake. I, I think that he is in a position this year. If he does not produce, they are going to move on. They're going to be in a position where they're going to have a, a, another top, you would assume, top 10, top five pick. You've got multiple quarterbacks who are going to go early next year. It's just as strong of a quarterback class as it is the last two years with Herbert and Tua and, go, and uh, from, from Georgia. I, and Dorit King, my guy, yeah, the, yes. uh, the, he, he's the not quite Murray 2.0, but you know, poor man's Kyler Murray. Is the, how the, the Niners, Kyle Shanahan is, I, I follow the guys on the West coast pretty extensively who cover the Niners and Kyle Shanahan is at the point now where it would, they could see a scenario in which this is a real thing in which if Garoppolo gets hurt and the Vikings are still not completely Ooh. sold on um, our guy Kirk Cousins, they Bring could see a pot- they could see a potential trade. Kirk Cousins oh, would hundred wow. would have hundred percent been the quarterback of the Niners had they not traded for Garoppolo. Yeah. Um, and so I could see a scenario in which they could double up. They've they've talked about this being a real thing. They they would get rid of Garoppolo because he can't stay healthy. They would outright cut him. Um, they would trade for Kirk Cousins yeah, and got, eat his last year of his contract. Yep, yep, they, they would. Got an out for that year. They would get the last year of Kirk Cousins' deal, and then they would still take a quarterback because Kyle Shanahan's at the point where he was really vehemently frustrated with Garoppolo and the fact that he 
basically put himself out to pasture last year, getting hurt and, and running out of bounds, but running into a player as he did. So, and I, I also think I like, I, um, I'm from Illinois. I watch Garoppolo play in college. I think he's a really nice player. I don't mm-hmm. think he's transcendently good. I, I clearly, I think he's overpaid. And I think that the, if he doesn't show anything this year, I mean, we, it's the same thing with DJ Humphreys that we talked about earlier. Like, it's great that people think that you're this, that you're something that you're not at this point. Um, and I, Garoppolo's played at a much higher level than Humphreys. But at the same time, I just, I don't, I don't, I think he's at the, he's at the point now if he can't put it together with an offensive mind like Shanahan, they've got a great young offensive line, a couple really nice um, pieces in the receiving game. Now they ran they the football effectively. Right. They, they were scoring 30 points last year with, with, you know, practice squad players and backups. And I mean, Shanahan is a very, very, he's probably a top five offensive coach in football. And if you're Jimmy Garoppolo, like this is a golden opportunity for you. You're being paid like a, like a stud if you don't if he doesn't produce this year at a high i'm talking at a high level blake they're gonna move on for sure yeah that's what's interesting is it is ultimately kind of hinges on garoppolo like you can take a look at the two games last year you can look at the minnesota game where he threw three interceptions didn't even complete 50 percent of his passes then you can look at the detroit game where he took six sacks but completed 70 percent of the passes got two touchdowns they won the game 30 to 27 they came through at least over in the end and the kansas city game like you're right the interesting thing with garoppolo running out of bounds and taking off uh, it reminded me honestly a lot and this is going to be an interesting comparison some will maybe kind of balk at considering what happened but it reminds me a lot of kevin cobb because you talk about athletic enough to move quick that's release. a great comparison you're talking about a backup in a very very friendly quarterback position at least who took over and shown ultimately when he got that got a big contract from the cardinals but uh, ultimately just was not able to stay healthy and had issues throughout the year. And part of it was just because the way that they had with their presence was they just took too many sacks, even with that quick release and were not able to, you know, stay healthy overall. So that's the biggest thing I'll have as far as a concern, otherwise very smooth player. It wouldn't shock me, honestly, if he does have a great setup at least, but it wouldn't shock me if it goes the other way either. The one that's most interesting to me is if you kind of look at Garoppolo and Kirk cousins and say, Hey, maybe they're the same type of quarterback, except cousins is just a guy who, can stay healthier and can take care of and protect himself and grapple. Isn't that wouldn't shock me too much, honestly, to see that move Goff is one that's really interesting to me because this is kind of a tale of two guys where if you look at Jared Goff, uh, with the first beginning start to the year, at least when Todd Gurley was humming, it was a incredibly productive, incredibly efficient. Like you're talking about them going back and forth with the chiefs, you know, with that offensive thing where they threw for like, what was like five somehow touchdowns at least with, uh, with that incredible passing uh, effort you talk about going back and forth with him, you know, potentially people wondering if he was going to be an MVP candidate. I'm just looking at the huge improvement that he showed over the last two years where he went from, you know, being a guy that people laughed at and said, he's already a bust to having 30 touchdowns and 12 interceptions, about 4,700 yards. It was just, and the, it was crazy. And then you look at the back half of the year when Todd Gurley goes out And then you start digging into the stats and you just uh, realize, hey, they just kind of limped their way into the Super Bowl. He didn't even put up a huge showing. Now, his deep ball still obviously has been one of the better ones in the game, which is great. You can see that from the air raid influence. But here's the biggest thing that you'll have as far as statistically. Uh, When you look at Jared Goff unpressured, he had an 83.8 total QBR, fifth best in the league 
When he was pressured, he fell down to 11.3, which is between Marcus Mariota and Josh Rosen. So you're talking about a guy who the team already moved on after gear and a quarterback who their team went out and brought in Ryan Tannehill to essentially push him and might be looking for a quarterback next year. It's like the biggest drop off for any quarterback. So Jared Goff under pressure is not good at all. He's a bad quarterback under pressure. And that's kind of what's scary when you talk about Andrew Whitworth getting older with them losing Roger Saffel, with them kind of taking some hits on their offensive line. That's the thing where I think that it is up to Jared Goff and Jimmy Garoppolo that their future, it's not that it's locked in stone like it is for a guy like a Matt Ryan or even a Dak Prescott. I think this year is kind of their crucial critical year because Garoppolo doesn't perform. Guess what? They've got an out and they could either turn it over to Nick Mullins who flashed last year or be ready to draft another quarterback. With Goff, I think would be curious is I could see that being a case where maybe they trade him to another team, swap it, and then they move up to the first round. And then all of a sudden you've got a brand new quarterback coming in for Sean McVay, or even let's say that they're able to say, maybe make a swap with the Minnesota Vikings, similar to the Sam Bradford deal. Maybe they try to intercut in front of that. Uh, Putting Kirk cousins, at least in Sean McVay's offense would be just as productive as it's been with Jared Goff. It probably wouldn't have the same issues as far as dropping that low with pressure. Cousins is still at least a good to average quarterback for that. So that's kind of been my inkling is I just wonder if McVay is going to want to move on. But a lot of people like are saying in LA that, Oh no, it's crazy. It's not going to happen. I think that if there's a struggle, if the Rams go, say they have a nine and seven or even have an eight and eight year kind of, and let's say that he turns into more of what Carson Palmer was kind of in that 2016, 2017 year, maybe that does become more of a possibility than we think. And maybe it turns into this whole area where the Rams become that first team that really has a successful quarterback, makes a Super Bowl, and then goes out and doesn't really pay him the second time. That's that's kind of my thing that I'm questioning about. But it'll be interesting, John, because obviously at this point it seems to be that the teams are locked into Russell Wilson and the Cardinals. So it's going to be a big prove a year for Kyler Murray. But obviously, at least for early reviews, seem to be much higher than they were, at least for the most part, for Jared Goff, and that's encouraging to fans. All right, that'll basically wrap it up for this edition of the Revenge of the Birds podcast. Again, you can find us anywhere on, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, on our Facebook page, we post all of our links there. You can follow our Twitter at ROTV pod. We do follow back. We're listening and downloading the podcast. Obviously, you'll be able to find us on the Twitter account or with Apple Podcasts. Uh, make sure you let us know. Give us the comments about if you prefer to like the audio quality. I know that was one of the things some people have questioned about. Um, give us your feedback. Uh, any other last comments before we head out for tonight, John? No, I appreciate all the support with the first article. Uh, Blake, we're excited about uh, ramping up the pod here in the coming weeks with training camp. Blake will be there, of course, with with coverage, and we'll do our best to get you anything, everything that breaks Cardinal news-wise. Yeah, again, make sure that um, we're so glad to bring John on. It's going to be great to have him for the 2019 season. Uh, thanks again for joining, everyone. Uh, have a good night.